Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and Anne Guest. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We are up to episode number 140. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Paul Brislin. And I'm Chris Gardner. Welcome along. Great to have you both here. Thank Good you. to be here. Now, uh, Paul, just as a reminder, maybe you can let everyone know where you fit into the uh, the technology where and, and telecommunications uh, yes, sector here sure. in New Zealand. I'm uh, the chief executive of Two Ends, which is the Telecommunication Users Association. So we try to represent uh, users, customers of telcos, and uh, remind the government and the uh, telecommunication companies that uh, without us, there wouldn't be uh, much use in building all their shiny networks. Well, thank you for doing that job. We appreciate it. That's quite all right. And Chris? I'm technology editor at the Waikato Times in Hamilton. Great to have both of you back. Now, something very fascinating has uh, has been on Kickstarter uh, in the last little while, and uh, it's due to end. The Kickstarter campaign is due to end in the next few days, and this is the tile. Now, Paul, you uh, you spotted this. Mm. Well, this is a little. Um, it's a device. It's about the size of a postage stamp, um, maybe three or four credit cards thick. Uh, and it is, in essence, a, a tiny little GPS uh, tracking unit, uh, which you can attach to your keys or tuck away on your bicycle somewhere is, is how they promote it. Um, if you lose your keys or somebody nicks your bike, uh, you, uh, you simply use uh, an app on your iPhone, and it's only iPhone at this stage, uh, very similar to Find My iPhone, um, but it finds your device instead or your, your lost keys or your bicycle or your dog or whatever's gone missing. Yeah, now this threw me when I, fir- I first saw this uh, I don't know, a, little, a little while back, and uh, the whole concept to me just didn't sound like it would, mm, it would work. So I sort of yeah, didn't look in any further. When you, when you mentioned it again, we've had a look through, and it seems like what it uses it uses um, a very low power uh, Bluetooth Bluetooth four, yeah, um, which is part of the reason why uh, why you know you need an iPhone to be able to uh, access it. So I think it uses that rather than actually traditional GPS yeah, that's, that's uh, right. technology. And uh, the way you track it, if it's uh, if it's something that you've lost, say you know their example was a bicycle that got mm. stolen. Uh, everyone that runs their their app uh, is actually you know will Actively scan, scan for it. for, uh, for things that you mark as. Uh, as lost. So the idea there then is that uh, you have to have as many of these things out there and as many people with the app on their phone as possible in order to make it uh, uh, make it work uh, at, it, at its most basic level. Mm. So it talks about a range of fifty to one hundred and fifty uh, meters. So if you know if you've lost your keys, it'll uh, it'll tell you as you're getting warmer you or, 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 which or colder. Like. Yeah, and it'll play a sound, uh, which is which is a cool idea. Yeah. And yeah, and it, you can get them to beep, right? So yeah, you can yeah. let them know. And uh, one year battery life. That's right. So at the end of the year, um, presumably you send it back and uh, organize for another one to be shipped out. Uh, and at the moment, there are twenty dollars. Uh, what about 18, twenty US dollars? Yeah, US fourteen New Zealand shipping. Yeah, which uh, is not so, too bad. No, well, I'll be ordering one to, to have a little bit of a look. Have at. a little bit of a tattoo. Yeah, Chris, are you going to grab one? Mm, maybe. It's not going to work with your Windows phone, is it? No, see, no, it's not going. No. No. Yeah, so you've got, to, you've got to have an iPhone or an iPad or an iPod uh, Touch for presumably to, uh, that will to, to use it. Yeah, exactly. But that'll broaden out once um, support for Bluetooth four point once Bluetooth is, is four comes to Android and, and Windows yeah. Phone, it's on. I imagine we'll uh, you know we'll probably see mm. it come more broadly. Yeah. It's an interesting model, isn't it? And it, it really it's a sort of the marriage of crowdsourcing, uh, not just in terms of raising the money for it, but in terms of actually deploying the product. Uh, but also um, taking, as Chris said, taking something that's it's embedded already in your iPhone or or any of the smartphones these days, and extending it out into the physical world. Mm. Now the uh, the fascinating uh, number is, you know, they were they were aiming for uh, about twenty thousand dollars in funding 
off uh, off Kickstarter. Now they, they probably knew that they were going to blow, blow this uh, out of the water and maybe you know c- created it artificially uh, low. Yeah. I, I don't know, uh, but they were aiming for twenty uh, twenty thousand dollars in funding. How much of uh, how much uh, they ended uh, up with? As of today, they've got twenty one thousand backers and they've got one point one five uh, million US dollars. So they're five thousand seven hundred and forty six percent backed. Yeah, well, bloody uh, marvellous. Well, well, as, as well I, done. As I said before, we recorded though. Um, you know, this in the video they're sort of trying to say this is innovative. I don't think it really is. It really is just copying a technology that's mm. already in the iPhone and, and extending it to anything. So yeah, but I know. haven't seen anyone else that's done something quite like this, and that was why at first I wrote it off because I couldn't actually mm. see how they would get it to work. How can you have this little postage stamp type thing yeah. with a battery in it that's going to last for a year and actually be be usable? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think some of their examples of how you might use it uh, possibly a little bit you know far fetched, and you know one of the examples was it was attached to uh, um, you know one of the people in their video was attached to her MacBook, uh, and you can imagine if someone stole your MacBook, they'd probably quickly uh, t- first you know, thing to go would be the tile. Yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. would tear that off. But if you're wondering where you've left it in the house or yeah. in, the, in the office, yeah, yeah. you know, really very very forgetful, yeah. uh, that could be pretty handy. I'm thinking um, about my set of keys or um, the house key. You know, I'm forever leaving and leaving something behind. Uh, you know, yeah. yeah, for that kind of level, for twenty bucks, you know, I'd give it a whirl. Yeah, mm. Mm. and a good yeah. little, a good little gift as well. So, if mm. you order one of these, I think they're going to be ready sort of around the end of the year, early, earlyish next year, uh, that sort of time frame. So, uh, yeah, bit of fun. Uh, there was a bit of an, a, 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 an announcement this morning, or the release of a new report. Mm. Now, Paul, you were uh, you were there to hear what the government had to had to <laughs> yeah, say. That's right. Uh, well, two government ministers actually. It so was a two minister morning. Yes. It's quite an important, uh, you know, mm. quite an important event when you get uh, two ministers out of bed that's early. Right. That's right. <laughs> what, what, what were the highlights from your perspective? Is this was this is this report worthwhile for starters? Is it is it going to uh, you know spur any good things on? Well, I hope so. It's uh, this. This is the ICT sector report. So the government's looked at uh, the economy, split it into six or seven sectors, uh, and this is the first report off the blocks. And it's a it's a good look at how much value there is in the ICT sector here in New Zealand. So it gives a good, very good um, benchmark, if you like, for uh, where we're going from here. So there's talk of them doing it every year, and I'd, I'd encourage that because it's important, I think, that we, uh, if we want to know how we're doing, we've got to measure things. And uh, the report breaks down the, uh, the, the sector in terms of um, value to the economy, how many people it employs, uh, all that sort of thing, all the good juicy stats that you want to be able to understand how we're doing here in New Zealand. It's really the tech sector, isn't it? It would be a simpler way of putting it, it rather is, than it ICT. Is. Yeah. I mean, uh, certainly a lot of sort of general uh, you know, consumers that aren't involved in, in the tech industry mm. maybe not quite so familiar with the terminologies. Well, that's right. Uh, you know, we've, we've had a number of names for it over the years. It's, uh, it, it's really the, um, uh, the use of computers in the most broadest possible sense, really. Uh, uh, from a network point of view, from a user point of view, from the hardware, the software, all of it. We talk. The, the report talks a lot about uh, computer services because it really doesn't know quite what to call these things anymore. Sometimes it's software, but sometimes it isn't. And so uh, it's it's a, a catch-all cry for basically what makes up our digital economy, this idea that we can sell stuff overseas and uh, and not have to physically move things around the planet and still make money at it. Which is certainly good mm. for a country like New Zealand. That's a, a fair, uh, fair way away from, oh, it's uh, essential, from the rest of the world, yeah, right? That's, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we've been talking about it long enough. 
Uh, I, I went to my first conference on all of this in 2001, the Knowledge Wave Economy Conference. Uh, we've been talking about standing on the edge of a, a new economic uh, idea, and here we are 10 years later still standing on the edge, waiting for it to arrive, which is a bit disappointing, really. So do you think New Zealand firms in general aren't very good at sort of pushing ahead technologically? Oh, no, I think, I think quite the opposite. We do a very good job of making... Uh, great use of the technology that's available to us uh, but there are certain limits and, and we, uh, we we do struggle we don't spend a lot on research and development compared with the rest of the world uh, we certainly don't um, uh, encourage uh, the development of a, an ICT or a, t- a high tech sector it's worth 5% of our, um, our economy in uh, at most which is uh, it's okay but you know you think about the New Zealand economy and we still think about dairy farming and uh, uh, I have nothing against um, farmers whatsoever. I just think that we shouldn't be relying 100% on uh, our ability to convert grass into milk powder to, to pay our way. Yeah. Well, I guess the farmers are relying on technology as much as anyone Absolutely. else now. And, uh, Chris, you can probably uh, comment on that. Sure. Um, I'm sure in the Waikato region there's a the fair percentage of uh, – um, you know, of the income from the region is, is derived from that sector. A massive amount. I mean, I was just looking at the figures here, and um, it says the value of computer and information services exports totaled $659 million last year mm. against imports of $531 million. Well, as a former farming editor as well, I can tell you that during one of the droughts that we had a few years ago, um, Fonterra's um, impact um, was $750 million down. From from, a, from, what it's, from that drought. Mm. So, you know, these figures, while they sound impressive, they could be a heck of a lot more yeah. impressive. There's a lot of room to go, isn't there? There's it? a lot of room to go. The other thing that I, I'm wondering about this report, and I haven't read it, um, I've only read the reports of the report, and, and, and <laughs> what, what, what I think is possibly missing from here is things like Weather Digital and the work they're doing for overseas. Surely they should be included in this, but surely um, they're not when you look at those figures. Yeah, um, I guess it depends how you define it, doesn't it? Because I would see their, you know, what Weta does as being very much creative work, but you know, as we, you and I were discussing earlier, it re- relies very much on uh, on a huge amount of technology in order for them to deliver uh, that. So, yeah, how do, you, how do you class these things? Absolutely. Mm. Well, I mean, I th- and I think what that highlights is that really every business – relies very heavily on technology and those who can put themselves at the forefront technology wise uh, you know are, are potentially ones that are going to do uh, you know better and are going to be more competitive in the global marketplace and we certainly look at you know the things that Weta has achieved now they couldn't have done those things without uh, you know really making great use of of technology mm. and I think you know we look across probably every every sector in New Zealand and I can't think of any that you know probably can do without technology or couldn't be doing better by making use of of, uh, of technology um you know more or or in a or in a smarter mm. way what are your thoughts on that point? yeah no i couldn't agree more it's it's um it's it's really important i think that we give um as much emphasis to uh those those areas outside of ict that are using it capability mm. uh that we do to the ict industry itself you know i, I look at the uh, the rural sector and there's a real divide i think between um uh urban use of uh of of high tech you know, and i'm thinking in particular of um, uh, computing capability 
uh, and the rural sector, and it's predominantly down to the networks. You know, we've got a real lack of network infrastructure in rural New Zealand, and it's uh, in many respects we're not addressing that problem. You know, we're rolling out this ultra-fast broadband network in the cities. Uh, in the next few years, I'll be able to get 100 megabits per second symmetrical connection at home, 100 down and 100 up. Uh, I'll be able to run the business from my office at home far more efficiently than ever before. Rural New Zealand is going to get 5 megabits a second download speed maybe one up and i just think we're missing a real opportunity to uh, turbocharge the uh, the rural sector as as much as we have done if you think about what's gone on in the uh, in the office space in the last few years why aren't we now turning around and applying that same learning to the rural sector mm. and the more we can do to help that the better off we'll be i think as a as a as a community well when you look at you know how much uh, you know income that new zealand derives from that from that sector certainly we want to be uh, maximising that, mm. and I guess yeah, I mean there there are things going on in those rural communities. Some of them are you know, uh, you know putting in their own uh, networks to address needs. Um, of course, the rural broadband initiative will, will certainly go some way to addressing those things, particularly as we get four G. Yeah. Uh, rolled out into those sort of areas. Um, I mean, we'll be wanting to see the data cap sort of you know uh, in, increase on those connections, yeah. but uh, they're not they're not uh, you know over the top at the moment but it's certainly much cheaper to have yeah, a fixed yeah. connection uh, than, a, than a wireless uh, rural broadband connection. Oh that's right. And we're certainly even seeing in some of those communities though that they're, uh, you know, the, the um, implementation of uh, you know, um, you know, traditional DSL type connections mm. and so on are, are reaching more and more places and even getting up to those faster VDSL speeds so yeah. all hope is not lost is it? Oh no that's right I was in Whanganui a couple of weeks ago at uh, their annual TechX Expo uh, and uh, saw the work that um, uh, a bunch of farmers are doing there to provide fixed wireless connectivity. Uh, uh, the, the landscape is very wrinkly around there. It's very steep hills. Uh, the farmers are pretty much isolated a lot of the time, and they're rolling out their own network uh, with uh, InspireNet and doing mm, a fantastic mm. job of connecting up uh, whole communities who've who've never had access to these kinds of speeds uh, before, and it's not only revolutionising their business. Of course, it means the kids can do their homework on the weekends. Uh, they've got access to a lot of um, uh, support from the likes of Fonterra or whoever else is providing services to them uh, that they simply just weren't able to tap into before. So it's it's, it's mm. really good to see. And uh, you know, when we were chatting with uh, with ASB recently, you know, they've been rolling out a um, you know they've been doing that that trial of mm. uh, you know uh, video conferencing. So uh, you know, if you've got that type of good enough connectivity uh, at your farm, you can you know don't necessarily have to wait for the bank manager to come and uh, come out to the farm or visit right. you, but uh, you can uh, video conference into uh, to wherever mm. he may be. That's very good, kind of good. So uh, yeah, we need certainly need more of these things to keep uh, to keep coming in, and it's one of the things I see, uh, you know, within my business, within Gorilla Technology. Part of my role is you know talking to our clients about you know how they reinvent their businesses, Mm. how they uh, you know take use of of technology and automate business processes and improve how they. Uh, how they operate, and it can be a challenging process, uh, you know, where people have had you know particular businesses for, you know, certainly yeah. if they've been around for some time, and getting them to sort of reimagine, you know, how their how their business might actually need to be 
as as the you know the business marketplace changes and it's constantly changing. That's right. Uh, but, you know, particularly due to technology uh, and and all sorts of other uh, factors, and, mm. and it's technology that they need to utilise to uh, to get themselves into those those places that will ensure their ongoing success. So. It's a, it's certainly a fun area to be uh, be involved in, but um, it's putting. I think there's a lot of pressure mm. in the current financial climate on uh, you know on a lot of businesses just trying to keep their head around what they what they should look like uh, longer term. Now, uh, one other area that I guess is uh, is government related uh, is um, the the TSO. Yes. What does the TSO the stand TSO, for? The TSO, it's yet another three-letter acronym, I'm afraid. Uh, the TSO, uh, those of you with long memories will remember the old Kiwi share. So back when telecom was first privatised and sold off, uh, at the last minute somebody realised that when you're selling off a monopoly, you probably want to put some limits on what it can and can't do. Uh, and rumour has it, legend has it, that uh, uh, somebody said, oh, what about this telecommunications thing we're selling off? Isn't that kind of important? Uh, so they introduced um, a raft of rules around what telecom at the time could and couldn't do. The three most basic and the most commonly quoted are uh, you always will have free local calling, you'll always have uh, the same price for rural folk that urban folk pay, and uh, you can't put up the price of a line rental more than the cost of living every year. Uh, so those were carved in stone, if I remember the ad correctly, from 1991. Uh, they would be in perpetuity. That was guaranteed to all New Zealanders. Forever. So forever and a day, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then along came the internet and uh, telecom screen blue murder that people weren't just picking up the phone and making a phone call anymore. They were dialing in to this internet thing and this was absolutely appalling. They should be compensated. Uh, and there was, uh, to cut a very long story short, because I've been following this since um, about 2000, 2001, uh, in the end, we renegotiated the whole thing. The government introduced the uh, TSO, which is a telecommunications service obligation, as a way of ensuring that rural New Zealand didn't get left behind. Uh, and then a few years later, we discovered that, in fact, telecom hadn't been spending uh, any of the money on rural New Zealand. Uh, in fact, it had, it had not been maintaining the network at all at the level that it said it had. Uh, and so we decided we would renegotiate the whole thing again. The government's finally released the discussion paper. Uh, and unfortunately, on first pass through, uh, it's a bit of back to the future. The entire thing is predicated on the idea that everybody in New, Ge- New Zealand should have uh, a phone capable of doing voice. There's no mention of broadband. There's no mention of minimum speeds. Uh, and so we really run the risk of missing an opportunity to invent um, uh, a universal service for all New Zealanders to say, uh, you know, you're going to need a broadband internet connection to do a lot of things online for the government in, in years to come. Already we're seeing Inland Revenue and some of the others come up with services that you can only do online. Mm. If you're going mm. to do that, you need to make sure that everybody has access to the internet, not uh, to a voice service so that you can call a call centre that won't take your call. So it's very important we get this right. Unfortunately, the government's got a lot on its plate. Uh, it's rushing through the uh, changes to the GCSB and the uh, telecommunication interception bills. It's also uh, announced it's brought forward uh, a review of the entire telco regulatory regime. Uh, these are things that should have taken place after we've decided what the base level service looks like. Uh, unfortunately, we're doing it the wrong way around. So and I think we're going to miss an opportunity to... Uh, to revamp the TSO for the next um, decade, it'll be another ten years before we look at it again. And should uh, you know everyday internet users be 
be concerned about what's happening around GCSB? What 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 are the you yeah. know, opinions that you've been uh, you've been sharing out there? Well, we've got um, we've got major concerns with the GCSB bill itself from a, a fairly high level. So there are two bills. There's the uh, the GCSB bill, which governs how the Communication Security Bureau will uh, operate at a very high level. Traditionally, uh, in years gone by, it was set up uh, to look at the communications of. Uh, non-New Zealanders and non-permanent residents. So it couldn't spy on New Zealanders, in yep. effect. Yep. Uh, the government says, well, that needs clarifying because we want to be able to spy on New Zealanders. So uh, they're busy yep. running into trouble there. Now, looking at that spying on New Zealanders, I mm. mean, it seemed like what they were doing was really, you know, they were, what did they talked about, you know, co-opting staff to help the police. Right. And, and SIS. And, and, and SIS, where yep. they had, le- where, you know, police had legitimate, uh, you know, right yeah. to be maybe monitoring someone That's in a right. particular situation. Mm. Now, are we talking about them just legalising it so that the police can get access to the expertise they need or do you see it that this bill get, goes much further than that and that's the that's yeah. the that's the the big concern that, it is a big concern it's because the two bills the two bills combined go an awful lot further than just that um I, i've got real concerns because the uh, the traditional model is the police with a warrant um, will go to the telco and say, we need to, you know, that Paul Spain, he said some very dodgy things. We'll have to keep an eye on him. Uh, we've got a warrant here from a, a, um, a high court judge. We'll serve the warrant on Vodafone or Telecom or whoever your provider is. Mm. They will provide us with the information. Uh, there is no need to involve the GCSB in that process at all. Uh, I don't understand what um, capability the GCSB is bringing to that party. Uh, especially given the GCSB bill itself now uh, extends that regime even further and says, well, uh, the GCSB or the police or the SIS uh, will be able to call on not just Vodafone or Telecom or your traditional network uh, managers, but also uh, the -the over-the-top providers like Facebook or Google or Microsoft. Skype. uh, Skype and all of that sort of thing. You know, we will serve a a notice on all of them. It then goes another step further, and when you introduce the, uh, the interception bill, uh, it gives the GCSB the right to tell the telcos, oh, I'm sorry, we, you, you can't get rid of that piece of equipment on your network. Uh, we need it. Uh, or, uh, to go further than that, uh, you're not allowed to make certain changes to your core network infrastructure. And if you do, uh, the GCSB reserves the right to veto certain vendors. Now, it's very hard to tell quite what's driving that, but you do get the impression from reading through some of the heavily redacted stuff that they've put out about this mm, that mm, mm. Um, uh, we're talking about making sure that uh, Chinese uh, spy agencies don't get involved in installing equipment in New Zealand. So basically what we'll end up with is a, a set of, um, re- of limits on the telcos uh, when they go out to tender for a new network um, provider. And you can imagine... Like what be we've, we've seen in other markets, Australia. Sort exactly, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which means that... Uh, uh, the the um, take mobile for instance the the leader in 4G technology in the mobile space is Huawei from China mm. uh, and uh, if uh, and they've got to that position by being cheaper than the other providers but also by being better in many respects in terms yeah, of their capability innovative, yeah, yeah yeah so to turn around and say well um, potentially uh, the GCSB could turn around and say well uh, you know we're a bit unsure about that no we you can't use Huawei. Uh, well, that's going to put the price up for um, network deployment. It potentially slows down our ability to get access to the latest and greatest kit. Uh, and uh, it, it, it puts us uneasily in between uh, the security camp, which is based around the US, uh, our alliance with the US, the UK, Australia and Canada, and our trading partnerships, which these days are very predominantly based around China and Southeast Asia.
And so we're really caught in the middle there. It's a, it's a real issue. The problem for me is that um, at the end of the day, the customers will end up paying more for their services in order to allow the GCSB access to the networks in order to spy on New Zealanders. Seems to be the opposite of user pays, really. <laughs> yeah, what do you think about this, Chris? Any, any, well, any thoughts? Which side of the uh, fence are you sitting on? A couple of thoughts here. I mean, often when you get these bits of legislation rushed through, you get a poor quality result at the end of the day. Things aren't debated properly. All the loopholes aren't picked up. Um, so that's one aspect to it. Uh, and the other one is, is you know, this is kind of like... You know, we we are, we are paying the government. Oh, sorry, we we elect our government to to represent us and all the rest of it. And it's the representatives turning around and saying, "Well, we're going to spy on you for your own good mm. and see what you're doing." Yeah, that's right. It's kind of a very strange situation to be in, really, isn't it? Mm. Is this is this enough that this is going to really uh, really hurt them at the next election? Because I'm not hearing a whole lot of people sort of standing up and saying. Hey, no, this is a great idea. This is exactly what the what the government should be doing. Same old, I'm not hearing anyone in any camp, you know, really talking that same way. Same old, same mm. old. People don't understand it. Mm. And what you don't understand, you can't debate, um, you know, logically and, and clearly and precisely, can you? Yeah. Do you yeah. think the government understand what they're doing in this case? Are they getting outside international pressure? Do you think that's I where think it's that, coming yeah, from? There's, there's a lot behind of pressure the, being behind brought. the scenes. It's being uh, yeah. they're being you know put under considerable pressure, pushed by, along. Yeah, yeah, and and we really are. There's this this old world, new world um, issue going on here, where uh, the, the, I get the impression anyway that the GCSB and its supporters are very much in the uh, the camp of well, we're on the side of the Americans. Now, with all the stuff coming out of Europe and the US about PRISM, about um, mm. uh, just how far this file, this, this information sharing regime goes, and also what they'll use that information for. Uh, you know, it wasn't very many years ago that uh, New Zealand got dragged into um, a, a legal stoush between uh, Airbus and Boeing. Uh, Airbus had bid for a big Middle Eastern contract. Uh, Boeing had uh, gone to the US government and said, we need to see Airbus's bid. Now, we are part of the, uh, I don't want to use the term, military-industrial complex. I'm sure there's a better way of putting it, but mm. we're a strategic asset for the Americans. Uh, therefore, uh, you should help us out. And the Americans did. They gave uh, Boeing information on Airbus's bid, gleaned in no small part from New Zealand's uh, Echelon spy station down in Waihopai. Now, when the Europeans found out about this, they went nuts, of course, quite rightly so. Naturally. And it ended up in a massive, nasty um, court case. Uh, went to the World Trade Organization. The whole noise. It was. It was. It was full on. My question is: What role were we playing in all of that? Um, given that uh, I, I would put the Americans and the Europeans fairly equally in in terms of uh, our relationship with them, and yet our security apparatus is still built around this uh, this this one world view that we must support the Americans over everybody else. And I'm just not sure that it fits with everything else we're doing here in New Zealand these days. Mm, mm. Yeah. I mean, there are a whole raft of concerns around it, particularly when you get into the level of encryption and security. Uh, if, if Zero, for example, comes up with um, a way of securing um, customers' files that the GCSB cannot break, uh, it then they, has they, to they make could, that available to the GCSB. They'll be in breach of the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, how, how do you turn around and say to your American customer base, uh, yes, your files are, are perfectly safe and secure, oh, except for the New Zealand government, because we've given them access to it, of course. 
you know, I, I imagine that would be rather difficult for Rod and Co to sell their services overseas. And that is the risk we're running here. We're actually ahead of the curve, certainly ahead of a lot of the other countries in the world in terms of just how much um, involvement the government security bureaus will have in our, uh, in our online communications. Yeah, it's it's certainly not uh, not sounding like a great uh, a great move at this stage. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, let's uh, let's hope that things progress in a uh, in a good direction going forward. But uh, there aren't a whole lot of indications that we're going to uh, we're going to solve these things. Mm. But uh, no, I, I guess at this stage, the government hasn't got hasn't really got things quite across the line yet. Anyway, well, that's they've got to do that. a bit of convincing. So uh, th- this thing may not. Uh, uh, you know, the new bill may not go through anyway. That's just it. And it's the same people making the noise that usually make the noise about these sorts of things, i.e. the Greens and so on. Mm. Um, you know, I guess as it gets further down the track and we, we understand the implications a bit more, we might see more people making noise. But, uh, yeah. You've got to be quick. You know, they're, they're, as you say, there's a, there's a very short window of opportunity to get involved and uh, public submissions are already closed, but there's still time to bring pressure to bear on, on MPs, particularly amongst the support parties, because they're wavering quite significantly on this. Mm. Now, uh, new gadgets and, and bits and pieces. Now, one bit that's not super new is Microsoft's uh, Surface RT, but what they uh, they did recently announce was a, uh, a bit of a price drop. So uh, that's dropped 150 US dollars. Uh, I think in the New Zealand market, we're, uh, we're talking um, just over $200. So that's their uh, base price for their um, Surface RT tablet, which of course comes with Microsoft Office as well, uh, 499 New Zealand dollars. Uh, for a uh, what is it a ten point ten point is it ten point five I've forgotten the ten point ten point one inch uh, screen. I want to um, say one, but I think you might be right. It might be five. Yeah, one of those two. A uh, big blank, screen. Blank moment, and I don't have, <laughs> I don't have a ruler here to measure one. Uh, but $499, including Office, which I think somebody was saying was around $300 to go out and buy a copy of Office these mm, days. That's right. Um, is that going to be compelling enough for these to sort of start moving moving a little bit quicker in the market? What, what's your thought, Paul? Uh, yeah, I'm going to say that I, I think at that price it might even tempt me, and I'm a hardcore um, iPad user, so... Uh, you know, I, I run my entire operation these days off an iPad with a with a keyboard. Um, the idea that um, looking at this one here in the office, it's um, it's really quite gorgeous. Mm. Uh, I'd, I'd certainly have to give it a go because it's you know what's an iPad these days about twelve hundred, thirteen hundred dollars all up. Well, I mean, it depends at the level you go, and mm. you certainly don't have to go in at that sort of level. But at, yeah, at four hundred ninety nine dollars, it's, uh, it's I quite, think it's extremely you know, it's competitive on par with when, a, a mini iPad. Isn't uh, it? Yeah, you're yeah. you're yeah less than. Um, yeah, there's less than a hundred dollar price difference. Yeah. In fact, it's about what is it, about forty dollar price difference. I think with the iPad Mini. That's right. That's um, right. And you get so, an awful lot more um, hardware for your buck for that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, I think that's uh, that's pretty tempting. And what are your thoughts on the the Surface there, Chris? You've, I think that's a great price. It's ten point six inch <sighs> clear Type HD. Oh, there you there you, there you go. All <laughs> so, right. Yeah, that, that's a great price. And I'm uh, getting old. Yeah. I think um, you know when you compare what a what a service can do compared to what a iPad or even an Android can do. Mm. Um, you know, there's no competition really. Well, I think it depends. Sort of what, it depends what you want to what you want to do on it. I mean, undoubtedly, uh, the app catalog. You know, we were talking about this last week. I think uh, you know, Apple are up to nine hundred thousand apps in the in their app store. I mean, there are apps that you will only get mm. uh, on 
one platform or another, and uh, more often than not, the the platform that's got something uh, that that others don't have is iOS. And then, uh, but uh, I mean, these days mostly on Android. But there is definitely some gaps still on the on the Windows side, right? Sure, but uh, I mean, you but know, I guess you've got the flip side, which is Microsoft Office being included, which you you can't get on any other tablet. Yeah, and you've got USB ports. You know. oh, I'm, I'm all wireless, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not too worried about the ports these yeah, days. Yeah, but you know, you've got media, you've got yeah. you've got stuff on hard drives, you've yeah. got you know. I Wi-Fi it all, you know. I'm 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 bathing in it <laughs> these days. But it's certainly I know it, what you mean. It though. is, it is yeah. convenient though. Having you know, you've got that USB port, you could plug in a you know a traditional peripheral, you could plug in a, yep. a printer or a yep. keyboard or a mouse or a you know whatever digital camera and so on so yep. yeah i mean yep. it, it is a i think at that price point it makes it pretty competitive oh it does doesn't it really come with does. a keyboard at that price point but um you know not you know there's, there's not an yeah, ipad yeah. with a keyboard at that price uh either yeah. um so yeah oh, I, I think they'll uh, they'll do well and no doubt we're going to see some new versions of the the surface products later on uh in the year i certainly think on the pro side mm. uh, we'll see that mm. next generation uh, I don't think they've made any pricing uh, changes on the, the Surface Pro, but uh, yeah, I, I would think um, you know within the next sort of three to four months we'll see a bit of a refresh uh, coming down there, and hopefully we'll get the sort of three G option and so on in the New Zealand. Well, market. that's exactly right, and and it will be interesting to see how um, how well they do do given uh, given Android and Apple's just sheer dominance of this market to date. You know, there's there's got to be another alternative out there, and it'd be great to see somebody uh, come along and offer it. Yep, well, that's definitely a space to watch. But, I, yeah, I, th- I think their uh, their sales are going to pick up pretty considerably with that, that sort of price drop. Now, Chris, tell us about uh, Code Avengers. Yeah, well, I just got this in my inbox, and I was just reading it a bit earlier, but there's a guy in Hamilton who has – let me just bring it up – who has just been, or just been overseas last week, and his name is Michael Wormsley. He is a Waikato University graduate, if I've got that right from my memory. And he's been at CodeCamp in California, um, running CodeCamp for um, teenagers, basically, in in a Californian school. Teaching them how to be programmers. Absolutely. So mm. this goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the evening um, on the podcast about exporting our, our know-how. Because um, this guy was over there, happened to be at some sort of event, and while he was over there, he arranged to hook up with some other guy that he knew, and hey presto, there he is, in a Californian classroom um, <laughs> on a two-day coding course. Um, so you know, all power to his elbow. Really, it's just the sort of thing that we should be uh, seeing more of. Absolutely. And there's a potential to take a business like that and to and to you know, I guess really grow that to all over the world. If we've got uh, mm. if we've got all the smarts, we're good at uh, you know, we're good at teaching, and uh, there's a there's a shortage in other markets. Then uh, hey, that's good. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yep. No, I'd like to see a lot more of that in New Zealand schools as well. You know, it's. Uh, it's all too often we use um, uh, iPads in the classroom or this kind of thing. We're really not yet at the point of um, integrating it fully in the curriculum. And, I, and there's an awful lot of discussion going on about how best to do that. And uh, uh, I think the sooner we get on with that, the better, really. You know, the schools that are doing it are, are seeing tremendous results for their kids. It's great. Of course, the Institute of IT Professionals, which was mm. formerly the Computer Society, is doing um, things like this, special special courses yeah i just find it quite interesting in the press release that he sent out it says currently only one in ten american schools teach students how to code 
Well, that's probably, I don't know the figures for New Zealand, but yeah. I would think that's pretty big compared to what we're doing here. That's probably about right, isn't it? And, and, really? and the younger schools. It'd be pretty, all, all high schools would do it in New Zealand, surely. But it comes down to whether individuals are, are interested. No? No, I don't, I don't know the. I got yeah. taught the program yeah. when I when I was in. in uh, Certainly, they, in, they in have computer and, and that club was, rooms that was a little and things while like ago. that. But yeah. I, I think the the amount of actual coding going on. Mm. You know, I looked at the uh, the high tech youth network um, set up out in uh, um, uh, South Auckland the other day, and it's fantastic. But it's not built around coding as such. It's built around uh, design and um, uh, media and and things of this sort. So it's really it's a lab using computers rather than for computers and, and for mm. computing and it's it's quite a different emphasis oh well, maybe, i think that's where a lot maybe of my school was very cutting edge <laughs> so well a shout out to burnside high school in christchurch i hope you're still uh, still teaching people how to program you were special paul <laughs> <laughs> um oh, we had a lot of geeks actually at uh at that school and there were some extremely talented um developers actually i remember mm. so be uh, curious how well uh, some of uh, some of them are doing uh, these days. Now, a little bit of uh, sad news this week. Um, one of our our uh, retailers, I suppose you'd call it, um, mm. UB, have shut down three out of their four Auckland stores uh, and their Dunedin store. Now, they've been, uh, I guess, the the main uh, retailer of uh, of Apple product here in in New Zealand uh, for quite some time. I think they used to be Magna Mac was That's the brand right. name, and then they. Uh, they renamed after uh, Renaissance uh, Corporation sort of acquired them. Um, what are your thoughts on on this? Well, Renaissance uh, has been in some trouble for quite some time now. It's it's um, Renaissance used to have the exclusive rights to Apple products in New Zealand, but in about what two thousand and six, two thousand and seven, uh, they they opened that up. You started to see these um, stores inside a store uh, coming along from Noel Leeming and, and Bond and Bond places like that. Uh, and so Renaissance has really struggled since then. Yeah, they were hugely uh, profitable oh, up they until were, that time, they weren't were. they? They, Absolutely. they? They uh they did very well as as Apple really came mm. into dominance uh you know with you know particularly the uh, uh the iPod and and yep. you know and so on as as those products sort of really That's right. uh, became uh yeah just something that everyone had to have. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, they made they made huge profits, but they of course did. Apple also entered the market themselves, didn't they? By exactly. uh, by selling online, so yeah. it's made it certainly made it a whole lot uh, a whole lot harder for them. But it, I th- it was a real surprise to me. I'm not sure if either of you were expecting uh, something like that, but to see uh, you know three out of their four Auckland stores uh, close, you know, mm. closed you know their, their mall stores in, in Albany and. Uh, uh, Sylvia Park, and uh, they had a, a store uh, downtown at Britomart that closed. I don't know if I would have predicted it, but in hindsight, which is always a great thing, yeah. when you ever walk into any of those stores, and I've walked into a few of them around the country, they're often quite quiet. Mm. And um, look, I think you probably go there if you want after sale service, you want somebody that you can chat to about the product before you buy it, if you're not really sure. Probably the you know guys in our in our um, sort of level of tech usage, probably wouldn't need that because we we do the research. We just we buy online, or we just you know right. we buy like that because we know what we want. But I'm guessing mum and dad and grand and granddad who are looking for something for Christmas, you know, will we'll get that before sales service. Yeah, they want to get hands on. They want to play with it. Yeah, have somebody talk them through it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So would would it be fair to say that most people that would have been going into those stores are Apple enthusiasts would, would, that that would particularly choose to go specifically 
uh, to an Apple, you know, type store because you know Apple don't have their own retail presence here. Rather than going into, uh, for instance, a Harvey Norman that mm. you know t- t- tends to have a section uh, for Apple products, yeah. would would the general public more often run into Apple in those sort of you know generalist stores? Oh, I think that's probably right. And and these days, whenever you go into a JB Hi-Fi or any of these places, mm-hmm. somebody usually pounces on you from the Apple uh, stand anyway. Um, I'm not sure what uh, what make, what uh, UB offered over and above that mm. in terms of service. It certainly wasn't the genius bar that you hear about from the US or, or even Australia. Mm. Uh, it was it was very much a sales environment rather than uh, an Apple marketing environment. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah, I'm curious whether Apple are going to uh, going to launch their own sort of presence here. But mm. I imagine if they do, they're not going to have the same sort of uh, number of stores as what we've seen from uh, from from UB. They would tend no, to no. tend to you know they tend to have you know exclusivity, very very uh, uh, large scale stores. Yep. Well, not yeah, not not necessarily huge, but you know depending on where they are, uh, but not necessarily having lots and lots of stores. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how many have they got in Australia now? Is one in Sydney? Might be one in Melbourne. Uh, that's the sort of scale you could expect at most, I would think. Maybe mm-hmm. one in Auckland, one in Wellington. Mm-hmm. You'd be done. They are quite common in the US in the malls, mm-hmm. but they tend to be in the in the bigger malls there and still bigger, bigger stores as well. Yeah, if they are, it almost sounds like it's a bit too late, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah, as you said before, Chris, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd bother going into one. I'd, if I'm going to buy a piece of hardware, I review it, I look it up online, I find out all the specs, I, I decide which unit I want. I don't necessarily want to talk to a spotty youth who's trying to upsell me on, no. on a cable. And, uh, and I order it online and it's delivered and, and job done. And you probably get on the phone to me or Paul or somebody yeah, else. Somebody you know, can actually the, spell IT. In, yeah. in the game. That, have you seen one of these? That's right. Should I buy it? Yeah, exactly. And that word of mouth thing is far more important to me than... Um, uh, than than going into a shop and having somebody typically you know uh, I, not necessarily the UB shops but uh, all too often I see people giving the most appalling advice in shops. Mm. Um, you know I watched one one shop assistant basically just tell lies about the Kindle when I was in the shop and I had to rush over to the man and after he'd spoken to this guy and say he's completely wrong he's he's making stuff up that's not at all how it works yeah. or how much it costs or what the books are like just you know here have a look at mine and I made the sale the shop assistant was useless. I must admit, I, I, I've been in similar situations myself when I've overheard a salesperson talking about something on the shelf. And, yeah. I, you know, I, I just want to leap in and say, hang on a minute. <laughs> and I guess that's a reflection of the changing world we're in, right, where people yeah. are, are getting their information not necessarily from, uh, you know, a retail assistant, but mm. they're, you know, researching online, maybe listening to a podcast, you know, getting that sort of specialist uh, exactly. knowledge that they need. Yep. And then, all right, I'm ready to order. Actually, I'll just do this online, do or you know, I don't yeah. need to necessarily ask a whole lot of questions. Yep, um, and uh, social media plays a huge part in that. And I, I remember having a, a sort of a, a, um, a pivotal moment a few years ago where uh, the dishwasher had died, and instead of Googling for a replacement, I asked Twitter, and I just said, um, you know, where do I go to buy a dishwasher these days? I had dozens of replies. Some of them were actually quite useful, but most of them were rubbish. Um, <laughs> within seconds, and, yeah. and it... But as a, as a consumer, as a customer, it really felt like I was tapping into uh, some kind of, um, uh, you know, much like the three of us sitting here talking about what was going on. It was, it was, a, it was a, a, almost a word of mouth recommendation from friends. Uh, and that meant that that really guided my buying decision far more vigorously than, uh, you know, anybody's websites around it. I thought that was a lot really more quite white, telling. Doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it really yeah. did. Yeah. It really yeah. did. And in the end, I followed the advice of uh, Lazy Web, the Twitter, uh, the Twitterati, 
uh, and saved quite a bit of money. Um, and it was it was actually quite a lot of fun rather than going onto a website and comparing stats. So it was a real real turning point there for me. And I suspect uh, once you've done that, there's no going back, and certainly there's no going in store to <laughs> to to ask somebody questions that they probably don't know the answer to. Yeah, fair fair enough. Yeah, I think it's it's very easy to be disappointed by uh, by the knowledge and whatever you get told by mm. uh, uh, retail staff in some cases. I'm not saying that's uh, always the case. No, there are some, good there, to find there some, are some really sharp people out yeah, there and I've certainly come across, uh, come across a, a few um, over the last year or two. Now, uh, talking about smartwatches, now we've talked about some of these in, in the past mm. uh, on the show. Uh, now, recently we've heard, uh, you know, Pebble have been, uh, you know, sending theirs out to their, uh, the people that bought them off uh, Kickstarter. And then uh, there was a little bit of a kerfuffle because they were actually selling them in the US through uh, Best Buy uh, to the general public ahead of some of their Kickstarter uh, supporters and and you know pre-purchasers actually getting their uh, that's not very uh, their smartwatches, which uh, yeah it didn't uh, didn't please a, a few people. Uh, and of course we've heard that uh, yeah Apple are working away on something, and there's you know some talk about iWatch keeps uh, keeps popping up. <laughs> uh, and then the latest one uh, that that we've just just heard about. Uh, today is um, Microsoft apparently uh, uh, testing a translucent aluminium smartwatch. Yes, doesn't that sound lovely? Does that um, sound credible? Translucent aluminium? Is well, there such a thing? It sounds like an iPad, doesn't it? Have you yeah. seen Star Trek Four? When Scotty comes up with the formula for transparent aluminium, as he calls it? Aluminium. <laughs> aluminium. So there you go. They got it from Star Trek. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's metal that you Star can Trek. see through just sound, sounds pretty cool to me. Uh, so I'd get one just, just for, the, uh, for, the, for the look of it. Uh, but apparently, uh, Microsoft have have taken the uh, their smartwatch project and uh, and moved it uh, under their uh, their Surface team, who of course have come out with some quite nice tablet hardware. That's right. Uh, so you've got to think uh, maybe these guys could actually come up with something that uh, uh, that you know stands out alongside mm. an Apple type product. And uh, Microsoft are getting pretty good at the old software games. So. Um, what do you think? Could they could they uh, deliver something good here? Yeah, I, I they got the brand to do it, or if Apple came yeah. up with a with a product that was equally as good, would they sell ten times as many? Well, I, I wonder how much of this is driven just off the back of uh, Microsoft not being first out with with a, a tablet in the in the standard format we've seen today, and mm. we've got to be first to be the next one. I don't know that a watch format is actually all that cr- that it would be cracked up to be. Um, you know, it's it's a small footprint, or if it if it isn't, then it's too big to wear. What's the battery life going to be like? The screen's tiny. Uh, I don't know how you input content to it. You know, it, 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 it strikes me that we've moved on beyond. It's, a, it's one of those, much like video calling. Everybody wants it, and then when you get it, you go, you know, that's actually not for me. Uh, not something you use all yeah, the time. It, yeah. You know, it's a nice to have. It's a gimmick. Yeah. Uh, and I do wonder about that with the, with the whole watch market. Um, I, I would expect to see them get more into uh, televisions uh, in the home before I would expect to see a watch. And that certainly seems to be an area where, you know, from what we're hearing, uh, yeah, Apple are putting a fair mm. degree of uh, of focus, and there's been some some more uh, rumor and speculation around that from Apple, and you know, of course, uh, Microsoft and, and others working on uh, consoles that, uh, um, you know, are really designed to um, uh, supplant the you know traditional types of uh, of TV watching. All right, so uh, if it's not the uh, the smartwatch uh, for you guys, what do you think about Nokia's new announcement 
uh, with the Nokia Lumia 1020. Let me add uh, it. Let me now, add it. Now, this is the one with the big uh, the, the camera sensor, which is a 41 megapixel uh, camera sensor. So, you know, in in theory, from what we're hearing, can uh, it's not just a high definition sensor, but it actually can deliver good quality photos. And we're mm-hmm. we're used to the number of megapixels in cameras and phones. Just you know, the numbers keep going up, but uh, you know, the quality actually not necessarily lining up with it. But uh, you know, from what we're hearing, there's some pretty good optics, and uh, the result is supposedly uh, pretty good. Now, Chris, you've certainly got some thoughts on this one. Look, I've I've um I've tried nearly every Nokia phone out since since they teamed up with Microsoft, and they just keep getting better and better. I've got a um, using a nine twenty at the moment, Lumia nine twenty, and um, it's just fantastic. And you well, know, they did some good stuff with the camera there, didn't they? It absolutely. was the first uh, first smartphone. Uh, to have optical image stabilisation, which we're you know, sort of used to, and you know the high end, you know digital SLRs and and some of the higher end cameras, uh, but they brought that into the phone. Do you you really think that that makes a big difference in terms of the um, the, the picture quality and so on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the photos on that are, are far superior to you know other other platforms that I've used. Um, yeah, so I mean, you know what they, what they're proposing to roll out in the next model is is just more of the same but better and um do, just do people want to carry around a a phone that's a bit bigger and chunkier because it has to be uh you know to be able to fit this uh this this lens in it i think you get used to whatever you've got i mean you know we've seen some of the the big the, the galaxy note and some of those other things you know um if it does what you want it to do um yeah, I mean, I suspect for some people, although it's a phone, it won't be used primarily as a phone. It will be used for other things, and mm. it might happen to ring once or twice a day. Yeah, you well, know. Well, I think it's certainly something we've got used to. Is the fact you don't need to carry a camera around with you because your smartphone can do it. But I find I'm often disappointed when I haven't brought my digital SLR or brought another mm. camera because a smartphone you know, just doesn't have a zoom. That, that's yeah, the you're main right. thing. There's yeah. no, right. no real zoom. So, yeah, my thought is if this could actually handle that sort of zoom side of it well by making use of those extra megapixels to be able to deliver something decent um that could be quite useful how about you paul yeah i i uh, i I like the idea of having my camera with me at all times Mm. you know the camera you use most often is the one in your pocket and and i have my phone with me constantly uh and i've never really been that thrilled with um, the iphone or even the samsung galaxy uh ranges cameras um so it'd be great to see a, a, a bit more out there, and, and perhaps you're right, Chris. It'll be a it'll be a camera that you carry in your pocket that uses a phone periodically, rather than the other way around. Uh, with this kind of capability, you know, I'd, I'd be um, I'd be wondering why I'd even have a digital camera at all uh, on top of that. So yeah, more power to them, really. Yep. All right, now uh, just a couple of other things before we before we finish up. Uh, now. IDG have taken over uh, PC World, uh, Reseller uh, News, Computer World, and CIO uh, magazines here in New Zealand. Now they've all uh, now those have obviously left uh, Fairfax. Now they're being published going forward in a um, in a digital form, aren't they? We're not going to see uh, magazines yep. anymore. No, it certainly looks like they are uh, going to be online only. Um, now this is something that we we promoted back when I was at Computer World, what nearly a decade ago now. 
goodness me, can't be that long. Um, uh, that we should be online only. I mean, it's a it's an IT publication. It seems to make sense that the website get the most resourcing. Uh, Fairfax was never willing to do that and um, proved themselves incompetent when it came to publishing online full stop, as far as I can tell. So it'll be great to see uh, IDG Australia hopefully put in the resource to be able to uh, to deliver IT news online and, and do it properly. Well, that's, I guess, the bit we don't know is how yeah. you know, how much resource they're going to put into New Zealand and you know, how much they're just going to take off Australian stories and uh, uh, you know fire, fire them at yeah, us. So there's right. a fair bit of unknown. Now, interestingly, along with with this, and I'm sure it's pu- well, I'm guessing it's purely coincidental. Uh, but uh, PC World magazine, the original PC World out of the US, mm. has uh, finally pulled the plug on uh, on on print editions as well. Yep, and uh, has also gone uh, online. Yeah, or do I you mean, think they're uh, just they're just copying what we're doing down no, here? No, no, <laughs> I suspect that's been in train for a while. I mean. It, Really, all of these publications were born out of a need to educate the market around computers. Uh, these days, of course, you're basically born with some kind of computing device in your hand. So the idea that you need to train people up and have a hard copy item sitting there next to the keyboard whatilst you fumble around trying to work it all out, uh, that's the, we've long since moved on past that. What about uh, those days of magazines that would have some code in it that's that you right. would key in the so you could run a game on your computer? Yes. Oh, look, now you're showing your age. <laughs> I'll tell you about my ZX81 experience shortly and then we'll all fall asleep. Oh, ZX81. So, hey, <laughs> 1K of RAM. And you tell the kids today and they don't believe you. Yep. Um, no, it had no RAM, actually. It was the, the 16K RAM pack in the back of it. It was awesome. Look. Every time you finished programming something, it would get warm and fall off. That's and right. And would, you'd just lose everything. There don't was no touch, hard drive. Don't touch the RAM don't, pack. Don't touch the RAM pack. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, it's too late. It's gone. I, I think uh, it's, hard, just, it's hard for people today to imagine that there could, could ever have been a computer uh, that didn't just <laughs> that didn't save, do anything. Didn't actually save. Say you couldn't save anything. No. You couldn't just you know press save and for it to you know save it to the hard drive or anything Record like that. Record it, it onto was, a tape. Uh, yep. You had to go through a very convoluted process with a oh. uh, a tape deck. I know, and then it would never work. You'd play it back, and the the computer would sit there and listen to the screeching like a modem, and nothing would ever work. But um, that was glory days. That, that, that was the peak. Wasn't that was it? the peak. <laughs> Absolutely, and it was actually quite <laughs> cutting edge. Yeah, yeah, it was quite frightening. Just how cutting edge it was um but you know you just don't need to do that these days do you i mean the ipad ships without a manual uh you just open it up you press go and you start in and, and that, you can give it to a two-year-old and the two-year-old exactly can work it out. right and and my kids you know they that's what they expect from a computing device it's almost transparent they don't use a computer they play angry birds or they do their homework mm. but it just happens to be on a computer so the need for that kind of uh, publication has changed dramatically, and, and unfortunately, the publication hasn't changed with it. Sure, I think those publications also about creating community, and, and now we're in a in a, a situation where community is online That's in right. forums yep. through Facebook, whatever it might be, and um, you know the magazines have got to move to, to that format they as absolutely well. Absolutely, do yeah, yeah, and the name, you know, the names alone, Computer World, PC World. They, they limit their, their market. Really, these were, uh, as you say, Chris, you're quite right, it was all about community. It was about the IT um, people uh, who work behind the scenes on these things. And it was always important to me uh, as an editor that the... Uh, that we weren't limited by the by the title. And mm. It was really more about information and ICT or, or high tech. So I think in Australia they've dumped the um, the PC World name and they're calling it the uh, 
the 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 gear guide the good gear guide i think is the new name for pc mm, world over yeah. there you know because it's not just about pcs it's about phones it's about laptops it's about tablets it's about all of it all sorts of gadgets now talking yeah. of gadgets now this is one we talked about a couple of a couple of weeks back but uh chris you walked in here tonight with the uh the ultimate is uh uh boom or ue boom um now this is a, a little uh, cylindrical uh speaker that you can connect to uh, via uh, Bluetooth and uh, or you can plug a cable in as well uh, but everyone was uh, we, we sort of jumped actually uh, when uh, when Paul dropped <laughs> dropped some uh, some tunes through it uh, earlier um, what what's your pick on it from uh, just a, just a volume uh, perspective and sound quality perspective it's fantastic this this arrived in my um at my desk at work today and I got a text to say it was there so I drove by the office and picked it up because I'm actually on leave this week <laughs> and um, really just had a chance to boot it up play it here when we got here and as you say it's it's for, was it 299 yeah um, and I've seen it I've seen it I think a, a chunk cheaper than that at uh, uh, JB Hi-Fi um, as as well, sure. so I think you can probably get it at a at a lower right. price. So it's, it's, buy it's, one of those. it's not cheap, but you get what you pay for, right? Yeah, yeah. The uh, sound quality is gorgeous. It's it's painlessly easy to use, and it looks fantastic. Well, and you can just link thinking, a couple of them together and uh, and get even louder if you need. We're still waiting for a second one to. Uh, uh, to a, to arrive actually, so we can have a play with that. Well, two, uh, two minutes good. ago, we we're talking about getting information onto your PC using yep. a tape recorder, and look, we've all come from that analog age. Yeah. It just it still astounds me. I know you know iTunes has been around for a few years now. It just still astounds me where we've come from in such a short time, yeah. and how a piddly little bit of information on my phone yeah. zapped through the air can be picked up by a a, a, a tube that looks like about you know height toilet of two roll. toilet rolls yeah. stuck together, and it can whack out some awesome sounding music. Yeah, mm. it's, it's remarkable, isn't it? It's witchcraft. It really is. Well, we're using these now for uh, you know for uh, presentations. When someone's hooked up their laptop to a projector, yep. uh, you can just uh, you know link into one of these either over Bluetooth or with a cable. Yeah, because uh, laptop speakers are uh, you know are not known for being particularly loud. But you've got to give a presentation to a group of people. Uh, use one of these, and um, yeah, my wife absolutely loves you know rocking music through uh, that whenever we you are know, at home or we you know head away for the weekend as we did last weekend, and uh, you know we didn't have to take yeah. some huge. Uh, device with us. I don't think it needed charging all weekend. Um, it's it's really cool. Now, one other thing around uh, charging. One um, mm. other device that I've been playing with uh, for 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 a few weeks now. Um, the um, the new MacBook Air. Now we we talked about you know the uh, the extra battery life and so on coming to uh, you know. Uh, with the next generation, the, the fourth generation of Intel, uh, you know, core processors, and of course the MacBook Air was one of the first ones uh, to have it. But just before we kicked in, I uh, I showed you guys, you know, both the uh, the battery indicator on the MacBook Air yeah. and asked, you know, both of you, you know, how long do you think the, the, how much battery life is is there left? And it's not, it wasn't, it was just set up with the visual depiction. You can set it to show how long. Yeah. And I think what what, what, is what were you guys bar. guessing? You were sort of saying, minutes. oh, one guy, you probably got, you know, ten minutes, ten, ten minutes or <laughs> ten minutes so. Or so, yeah. Enough time yep. to log off smoothly and get yep. out. So uh, it's been sitting on uh, one bar um, since before we started the, the show. Now that bar's gone from uh, black to, to red. Uh, at that stage it was indicating on its one bar that we had an hour, uh, yeah, an hour 30 left yep. Yep. with just one bar. Um, now after uh, you know, 40 minutes has gone by of 
you know, sometimes not using it, sometimes using it, and it's 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 saying I've still got more than an hour. Uh, still over an hour. A- hour left. That's what it should um, be like, isn't it? So that's, um, that, that's just a taste of what these new uh, you know uh, new processes are are delivering. Um, we are going to be reviewing a bunch more of these over the next few months as we see uh, more of them going uh, forward. But if you're looking for uh, for something right now, or you're after a Mac, then the new MacBook Air delivers some pretty mm. good battery life. Um, we're still, we ha- I mean, the, the frustrating thing with Apple though is we don't know when there's going to be a new MacBook Pro, for instance. Yeah. And so, uh, how you dare know, you want to know in advance? You'll, you know, you'll be you, told d- you just have to sort of ready. guess. And if you need one, uh, go now, buy one. Just now, go buy one. You just have to go and buy one, and uh, <laughs> know that possibly in a week's time, but maybe in three months' time, there's mm. going to be one with, uh, uh, you know. Potentially twice as much uh, battery life, or at least fifty percent more battery life. So, and it won't look anything a, like that one. It's, it's a little bit maddening, but um, mm, but that is yeah, the if Apple you need if you need a MacBook Air, um, if you're after that sort of really ultra um, thin and light machine, then uh, then they're across the line uh, already with uh, with with the new chips, oh. and it's uh, it's pretty awesome. I always tell people it's three months out of date by the time it is a shelf yep. anyway. That's so, right. You know, there's no point waiting. Just go and no, get one. Just yeah, go and yeah. get one. If you want one, get one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, Don't be disappointed. And and never never wait because <laughs> there's always going to be something else. Always another one. So, uh, well, that, that's it. That really wraps us up for this week. So, uh, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Chris, for uh, for joining us on the podcast. Now, where do we track you down online, Paul? Uh, you're on Twitter. I am. I'm on uh, Twitter almost obsessively. Some would say. Uh, Paul at Paul Brislin is the easiest way to find me. Nice and easy. Nice and easy. And you'll get me on Twitter as well at Chris Gardner NZ. That's Chris C H R I S Gardner G A R D N E R N Z. You'll also find uh, my stuff on Stuff and on MyKellerTimes.co.nz under the Technology section, which is hidden at the moment in Business. <laughs> All right. Oh, very good. And of course, you can track me, Paul Spain, down uh, on Twitter at Paul Spain and around all the other. Uh usual uh, social networks like uh, Google Plus and uh, and so on and uh, NZ Tech Podcast is uh, online at nztechpodcast.com uh, facebook.com slash nztechpodcast and uh, NZ Tech Podcast on, uh, on, on Twitter um, so uh, do look out for us in, uh, in those places and, and uh, Google Plus too uh, we'll catch you on the next episode see ya <laughs>